You're listening to Dirty Feet, a dance podcast. I'm Alison Burns. So you've already heard me mention a few times on this podcast that I'm creating a show for the Ottawa Fringe Festival this year. It's called Do You Want to Live Forever? And it's primarily dance and poetry. And the show is based on or inspired by rather the novel Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. This episode, I'm going to be talking uh, about the show. I'm going to be speaking with Travis Martin, who is my uh, partner in life and also my collaborator on this project. I'm also going to have a few uh, interview excerpts from our fundraiser, How to Live Forever, where we spoke with some of the patrons at that event about the title question and their thoughts on it. So before we get started, I just want to talk briefly about the people behind this work because I am not doing this alone. There's a whole crew of people helping out and I feel very grateful to have such talented artists and humans on the project. So I'm calling myself project instigator, choreographer, and performer. And as I mentioned, Travis is my co-creator. He's also the writer of all the poetry in the show, and he's a performer himself in the show. Alia Graham, who is an incredible dancer here in Ottawa is also collaborating on the show as she's been a huge part of this process and she is of course performing. Also performing are Mary Wigan, Cleo and Tessa. All three of these women and girls share my role with me as my character goes through her lifetime. Tristan Henry, the band Stroboscopia and Kayla Milmine Abbott have all contributed music to the production and Robin Toller is my dramaturg for the show. The show runs June 8th to 17th. We have six performances in all, all at Arts Court Theatre as a part of the Fringe Festival. Ticket prices are only $12 plus $3 Fringe pin. They can all be found at ottawafringe.com shows. You can also find information about the show on my personal website, alisoneb.com. Enough about logistics. Let's get into the interesting stuff. We're going to start with different answers to the question, do you want to live forever? Okay. All right. I have Sarah in the hot seat. Hi. Sarah, do you want to live forever? Um, you know, this is actually a question that I've been terrified of my entire life. Like, I get very stressed. When I read this is the theme of your fundraiser, I was like, oh my god. Because no, I don't, and yes, I do. Okay, would you care to elaborate? I am terrified of the idea of forever, because that would be insane, and I can't fathom things going on forever. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Everything has an ending. A beginning, middle, and ending. But, uh, but also the idea of not existing is equally as terrifying to me. So it's a bit of a catch-22. It's like, what do, you, what do you want? I want neither. All right. It's probably my greatest fear. Nice complex answer. Sorry about that. No, that's what we want. <laughs> I also want to know, if there were a key to immortality, what would it be? Um, what would it be? 
like something that would make that happen for us like yeah. a, a key like what what is the practice what is the okay. secret what is the um, object eat lots of chocolate and live a good life <laughs> do whatever you want <laughs> that's what I think thank yeah. you Sarah you're welcome <laughs> so I have Bobby here and I'm going to ask Bobby do you want to live forever no why not well I think it would get boring and it would be bad after a while of living forever and, and Bobby how old are you 11 have you gotten bored yet nope nope excellent <laughs> And I have one more question for you. If there were a key to immortality, what do you think it would be? Hmm. I don't know. I think it would be eating very healthy and being fit. That would probably be the key. Those are very wise answers. Thank you very much, Bobby. You're welcome. Darren. Hi, Allison. Do you want to live forever? No. Why is that? I think it's hard for me to put exactly into words, but I think the limited amount of time that I think about having uh, pushes me to accomplish what I want to do. And I think it pushes people, like, as, as a species, I think it pushes us to accomplish things that we want to do. Um... And I don't think anything would ever change or move forward or get better if we could live forever. And I guess that's why. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you. All right, we have Bobby back. Bobby, what do you need to add to your answer? Um, I was going to add that um, if you do... If you are immortal and live forever, physically, it would be horrible because you would outlive all your friends and families, and plus you would live a very horrible life with such old age. But if you were immortal mentally, then like getting stories passed down from generation to generation, that would be really good because then you would be remembered as somebody who you once were. That's very thoughtful. Thank you. You're welcome. Here reporting. Return guest Amelia Griffin. Griffin. Reporting Back live the from the Gladstone Theater on a sunny evening. We're fundraising. Tutor gum into the microphone. It's the best. Very obnoxious. <laughs> My mother would not be proud. Allison, this is a fantastic evening. Yes. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm, glad. I'm liking it so far. Good. Very um, different kinds of performances. We're taking on an emotional ride, accessing different aspects of ourselves, you know, contemplating life and such, perhaps so also death. This is what I want to know. I want to know, Amelia, do you want to live forever? No, no, I really don't. Why not? Uh, my whole contract with, you, you know, like deciding to come here through the womb and out into the world was that I would also then leave. That's the, that's the, um, it's the deal. So I'm here to maximize, you know, and, um, 
and get what I need and, and give back and do everything that I can. But I feel like the way that I live my life, I couldn't do that forever. That's exhausting. And <laughs> you, you do keep yourself busy. I do. I'm really quite busy. There are people putting things into a box here. It's very exciting. Oh, my yes, goodness. Yes, yes. We, uh, we have the people who are too shy for the microphone filling out some of these questions. Right. Well, that's not me. On the page. <laughs> I have one more question for you. Wait, I didn't finish my answer. Oh, excuse me. So it's really okay. Uh, I just, I feel like if I live forever, I mean, I really like people. So I would get to meet a lot of people over the, all the years that will ever be. But I I really like my people now. And I feel like if I live forever, you know, they'd go, I'd be here, be kind of lonely. Like the whole vampire thing really doesn't appeal to me you know they live forever I'd really like at one point for this for just just get eternal you know rest and perhaps come back as maybe a grasshopper you know or a rock be sweet but um, you know no that would be unnatural and I like natural I think I'm done now Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Next question. Yeah, Allison, tell me. If there were a key to immortality, what would it be? A literal key? If there were a key I just to immortality. Shrugged. I mean, you know, translate on the audio. I feel like um, there's, there's definitely something to be said for yogic practice. Um key another key could just be like deciding that this is all a facade and you know this version of reality is just a decision and you know if you just undecide to take part in this version of reality then then you just then there's alternate realities that you can just play in forever that was really down an esoteric path um but you know kiwis have like all the vitamins and minerals. So I feel like if you ate a lot of kiwis, that might help on your quest. Stay away from dairy. Uh, That's just going to make you inflammatory and not help your immortality cause. Um, I feel like also signing, you know, a deal with the devil is a really, really good way to do that. It's like the quick fix version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. So like you got to deal with whatever he's going to throw back at you eternally. (laughs) But living forever would be kind of a special kind of hell for me so that's yeah all right well, i'm sure i have a, lots of other comprehensive guide regardless yeah Thank you. kiwis kiwis and yoga and kiwis, no dairy. yoga satan and no dairy i feel like it's and or satan like oh it is and or satan yeah. sorry yeah that's only it's if you want to like talk to him yeah or her or they it's non-binary gendered evil being. Um, being, yeah. yeah. You never know in and of this world. <laughs> Thanks, Amelia. <laughs> you know, you're welcome. So? so, Travis Martin, do you want to live forever? I think so. 
I think I wouldn't get bored. I'm the kind of guy that can get interested by stuff, and the only thing that stops me from going all in is time, basically, and resources. So if I had all the time in the world, then I could do all the things in the world. Maybe after I've done all the things, then I'd be bored. But then the world moves on, and there's new things in the world, so I just feel like I wouldn't get bored. And Travis, if there was a secret to immortality, what would it be? Um, finding the eternity in every moment is the secret to immortality. Beautiful. That uh, is a great tie-in to the theme, I would say. One of the themes of the show, Do You Want to Live Forever? Which, of course, of course we are creating together for mm-hmm. the Ottawa Fringe Festival this year. So let's dive into uh, a bunch of questions about the process of creating this show. Uh, you are an artist in your own right, uh, but dance is mm-hmm. a new form for you. You are a theater artist. You are a writer. Uh, you are even a video game designer. Mm. So you um, approach performing arts with a strong sense of narrative. Um, and you have very good awareness in terms of stage presence and what comes across from a performer to the audience. Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you tell us what relationship you have to dance starting this project? I didn't. Uh, so my dance, my relationship with dance was um, pretty casual, I guess. Um, I have not gone to see a lot of dance shows, but I do dance a lot on my own to music in public at parties. Um, I'm like the guy that dances to all the songs. Well, not, you know, I have insurance, my insurance limits, of course, but, um, you know, I'm always down to dance basically. And I think dancing is just an incredible release for the soul and um, inhibitions and just to connect to music and other people and and yourself. Um, But for dance as a performance, to convey meaning through dance is totally new for me. And it's exciting. And I I should say this project is not specifically a dance show it's a dance and poetry show and you lend your talent for the writing and the delivery of all the poetry that's in the show so first of all thank you very much for that <laughs> my pleasure and then we can talk about uh pairing dance and poetry you know i have a perspective that i will be happy to talk about later in terms of what it's like to negotiate these two art forms when we're creating a cohesive show with a narrative, but also that, that poetry in movement and in words that allows space for the audience to insert their own experience. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on the process of negotiating these two art forms? Yeah. Um, so they, they're both, like you say, they leave a lot of space for the audience to fill in with their own experience. Um, and I guess what that means to me is that like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of metaphor. Like metaphor is the, is the language of, is the tool of, 
uh, of poetry and I think of dance as well, but it's just a different kind of metaphor. It's a, um, it's a movement based, uh, like non-linguistic, um, like metaphor means to carry meaning. Um, I, metaphors can be true in a way that no fact can be like in a greater universal sense, uh, a sense that speaks to us subconsciously. Um, we might hear a metaphor or watch a movie and understand the plot, understand the words spoken of this, just a sentence that is a metaphor. And we understand it on one level, but then the image, because they're usually images that that is conjured will work on you subconsciously while you're not thinking about it. And then it'll, um, and it has the potential to, to change your life in small or big ways as you kind of live with that image, that metaphor in your, in your mind and your body. So that's kind of the link I see between poetry and, and dance. Dance can do that. Uh, because like at some point the, the linguistic element of poetry dissolves as we, um, as we let the, let the images affect us experientially. So there, I, when I was writing promotional material for the show, I, I, I came up with this idea that the poetry and dance are the the languages of the of the heart and the body, respectively. So I don't really know what you mean by negotiate, but I'll exp- I'll tell you what how what my experience has been like, um, or like how I see these two working together, because we have this aim, and I'm pointing forward here. Um, that is delivering the story of the piece and with a play with dialogue, you can pretty much deliver it straight along that straight path. But with dance and with poetry, you have to skirt around the literalness with, with well movement and with metaphor and, uh, and inference so what we can do here is play to the strengths of both media really evoke powerful body language body image use the body language of dance to tell one part of the story and use the the poetry to tell a different part of the story a different perspective and it's reflected that kind of duality of um, of deliverance is re- is reflected in the characters. Oh, it's only my character that speaks at all, um, and your character who does most of the dancing. And Maum, of course. And Maum, of course. Um, the goddess of here and now. Yeah, for me, because this poetry that I'm writing is kind of auxiliary to the dance what I do is look to fill in the holes of what we can deliver in dance um, using the poetry. It's a play. Just look for what, what, what's best used in, in both. Like you try to get the best of both 
to, to work together to, to deliver the story. Absolutely. And I think, I think my perspective on the, the negotiation has to do as much with the process as it does with what has or will soon be the final product <laughs> as we finish up our rehearsals. Because we keep exploring how much we can communicate with the movement and then where we need support from the language. And then your your poems that you bring to life based on, you know, my directives and what we've decided we want each poem to to convey, it ends up, of course, filling out more than the initial um, suggestion. You know, your your words and your images and your tone tell us more about the characters, tell us more about their history and their motivations. And then that in turn informs the movement. So it's been constantly evolving and changing as we, as we keep bringing um, more depth to our characters and our stories to the table every time that we trade back and forth uh, a draft of the dance and of the poems, uh, which has been really interesting to me and um, has made it very valuable to have an outside perspective come in. And uh, we've done this a couple of times now to kind of see the work in mm -hmm. progress and be able to actually feed back on what, on what they're perceiving because we've been through, you know, so many versions at this point. And, uh, and it's been really extraordinary to, to have that discovery about these characters, you know, to have, and, and Alia as well, to ask questions about her character, to ask questions about mm. our characters, to have us ask each other questions about, um, you know, the, the, the characters that we play, the character that Alia plays, and to, through, through the words, as much as through the movement, start to understand these people better. And I think it's been really fun too for me. I think, I think somebody can imagine clearly what I mean when I say that a, that a poem will flesh out a character. And I think it's a little less hard. It's a little, it's a little harder to understand what I mean when it, when a dance does. Um, but it, you know, more than once in the studio, we've been together and, you know, you want to talk through something and I don't know how to talk through it. I want to move through it. Mm. I want to dance through mm -hmm. it. And I want to start just, you know, finding our characters in our bodies and then throwing us against each other and seeing what comes out of that. Where are we in our headspace? How does that manifest in our bodies? And then how do we interact? How do we express ourselves? And that shows us something about these characters too. And that's been really exciting. Yeah. It's been a big challenge for me. Um, I think it's, it points to a weakness in my physicality or in my performance that I, I don't fully inhabit. Like I haven't found it easy to fully inhabit the character and to find, and to get that as a starting point for creation rather I've been, um, aiming to inhabit the character as an end point, you know? Um, and I think that uh, this whole process has really helped a lot in that in that regard to uh, understand physically who I am, because you know we are our bodies, and this dance is an expression of the body of this character, and it's powerful to to be in that. And I think it's actually really draining at some point um, 
to do that for so long and to really to create from that place um as someone who's not used to it like it's it's been a big challenge for me um like i'm i'm used to like sweating from my heart to write poetry um but uh but sweating from my body is <laughs> not as common experience for me while I'm creating. And and I just want to offer this example because I think it really il- illustrates what we're talking about right now. Um, when we discovered that there there is an element to your character that's controlling. And it was yeah. kind of like, oh, oh, there's this undesirable aspect to his personality that is pivotal in our plot mm. and is it is very informative for the relationship that our two characters have. Yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was just like, we're not creating necessarily a different text or more choreography. We're going back to the top of the show and we're going through it with this knowledge and it yeah. changes the actions that you take and it changes how we react to each other and just very subtle moments. Yeah. in our physicality are affected by this choice that we made, this discovery that we made about your character. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool to, to have that discovery inform the choices that we make the movement choices, like to stand behind you and move your body while I deliver this poem to, as I'm, as I'm shaping you into what I, hope you will be <laughs> and it's interesting that that came up so recently that that uh that character characteristic i want to talk to you about about um the way in which i've asked you to move physically and and you've you've expressed how this has been a difficult process for you and i and i see that and i see you working very hard and i really appreciate your energy in this work and Something that I've done as a choreographer working with uh, with you, I work in a different way with you than I work with Alia, who is a trained contemporary dancer who has uh, gone to school at the School of Dance for contemporary dance and has a different mode of communication when, uh, when I'm giving her choreographic material. Mm-hmm. So for, for the two of us, we took actually a salsa uh, session last fall together, Mm -hmm. which created a foundation of uh, not only movement vocabulary, but actual vocabulary to name the steps we were doing, uh, which it sounds like was a very helpful tool for you as somebody new to this kind of dance. Yeah. And the other thing that we've been employing is other familiar gestures and steps, including yoga material kind of in the show so that we can name the movements we're doing and also your body has familiarity with a lot of the material that we've been going through yeah yeah it's interesting when you asked me to do some movement the first question always the first question that comes to my head is why am i doing this what am i actually doing what's the action um because I have years of acting training and that's always what I'm looking for first. Like, what does this character want? Why am I doing this action? Like, I remember this one moment specifically, like 
this moment where um, you move my hand and then my head falls to the floor. Um, and I remember asking myself, what, there has to be a link here somewhere. Um, and what I came up with was that the, the hand hitting my leg caused, like, physically moved my, like, had the impact carried from my hand hitting my leg to my head going to the floor. And, and just to kind of understand that causally was enough. Didn't need specific action verbs to, to understand that moment. Um, which I, which I think is progress <laughs> for, uh, a dancer. Um, so I guess where I was going with this was you and Alia and I guess the contemporary dance, um, workflow requires less of those action verbs. Like, um, I'm trying to get something out of you in this scene, which is the kind of, uh, dramaturgical point of view. Like, um, that's always what I'm looking for. I'm always looking for the, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this spin right now? Like, what is, what is that action a part of? Whereas you don't put a word to it. You don't put, you don't get so specific about it. You don't get so cognitive about it, I should say. Because you do have a specificity. You do have ideas in mind. You do know what the actions are, but you don't necessarily put them in words because that's not a necessary part of the process. There's, like, if you, if the choreographer understands the movement and the dancer understands the movement, the audience is going to see the movement there's no words anywhere in that process, which is, which I find really fascinating. Of course you have vocabulary to describe things that are going on, but it's, it's so physical. It's so languageless that to put action verbs on it is, is pointless. Um, if there's only dancers involved, but when there's actors involved in, in poets, for me, I, I needed that, that touchstone, that kind of like way to relate the action to the dance move. And I think on a larger scale, having that, having a motivation for my character while I'm doing a scene informs my movement so much. And I'm able to do any of the choreography that you give me with intention because I know what I want. I have so much to say in response to that. The, the first thing I wanted to say was to, to talk about the language that we use in rehearsals, because I, I have this little outside myself witness who every once in a while is just charmed by this type of things that I would say to Alia to, to evoke a certain, mm -hmm. uh, action or a certain texture that I want. I think the last rehearsal I was talking about a whip. I was like, I want it to whip. I want it to expand. And then every time it's circular, I want it to speed up. And then I want it to reverberate at the end of that. And, and it's just things like this that I don't even know sometimes if they're making sense. But as <laughs> If I, if I say a word, if I say an instruction and she puts it into her body and it's what I intended 
then we're good to move forward. Whether or not yeah. that's the right word for the action, it is about the physical response. It's about doing it and seeing it and finding the right thing physically. It doesn't really matter what the words are. Yeah, well, that's a great use of metaphor right there. And when you're saying whip, like you're not going to take a whip, incorporate a prop like that into your dance. Well, no, obviously, we understand what a whip does. We understand the type of movement that that happens when you whip a whip and and we're able to incorporate that into our bodies and like the the whole philosophy of metaphor is connected to my philosophy of life and of matter and of existence in general um which i was thinking about just just the other day that that we have physical properties like physics, gravity, and thermodynamics. And we use all of those words in different contexts. You know, we use the idea of weight. You know, words can have weight. Movement can have weight. If you say a oh, movement is heavy, we understand that. We, we can notice. Anyone can look at someone moving and say, that, that's like a heavy movement. Even if no one told them to associate weight with movement before mm -hmm. we we can see that and and so i think that matter on all scales of existence exhibit the same properties these physical properties um and that's why we're able to use metaphors to describe them yes i i still i still think i'm agreeing more adamantly with your argument about the removal of words in the sense that like some of my directions are okay in this moment you go from divine to human and I don't want you to cross that line and then she redoes it and I am like yep that's you understood what I was saying and I know <laughs> what it means to be on both sides of that as somebody taking direction from somebody else as well where it's like uh and I'm thinking of the context in which I was working with a with a theater director who was trying to sit me down and explain to me all of the things that she wanted me to evoke. And I was like, no, I'm just going to show you and you tell me more or less of what, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And that is just in, in my dance brain, the most efficient way to do it. Um, and I see Alia responding to me in that way as well. Whereas like I throw a directive at her and whether it makes sense or not, she's just going to do what she thinks I'm looking for mm. and we're going to get there faster because once I see it, I know whether or not we're going in the right direction. Sure. So again, it's reinforcing that we're, it's about movement. It's about language. We're using language to try and get there, but sometimes, you know, and, and being a choreographer is a very physical process too. You know, I'm on my feet. I'm, I'm gesturing. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of things physically to, to get my points across, not just, Directing with words. Yeah. But returning to your to the answer to your the previous question that you gave, I wanted to talk about that that moment um, where I put your arm down, your head falls to the floor. And and that as a metaphor, and that as a piece of material that came out and was a really strong part of the choreography really early. And uh -huh. something um, that you've brought to the the process that I really appreciate is as a questioning of my choices choreographically mm. um, because you want to know how to deliver them. But also 
it, it's allowing me to have a different perspective on the work that I'm creating and see uh, how it's viewed right away. Just see what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and, and what you don't understand, um, which has been very helpful for me because it's very important to me that I create work that is accessible and work that um, is enjoyable by a, by a wider audience. So I want to know when it's too esoteric or it's too abstract. Mm. Um, but there are moments that I'm reluctant to let go of because, because perhaps off the bat, I couldn't justify that action and reaction, that movement. However, it felt very important to me. And as the choreography grew and as themes choreographically emerged, it became clear what that moment meant. And that moment, again, is, is a metaphor. Hmm. It comes back in a certain set of ways that it stands in for something. And what it stands in for is something that the audience can bring to the table. Yeah. It's this, it's this message. It's this question. It's this trouble, you know, yeah. and it's the physicality of it is harsh. You know, it's, um, distraught. This comes across. So it's not necessarily clear what it is, but it serves its purpose in the narrative. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's about images, right? Like metaphors, they use images to, to communicate with our systems. And there's an interesting connection there between um, the way our brain sees another body doing something and then, and then it, it kind of happens on a, on a micro scale in our brains. Like the, the whole phenomenon of mirrored neurons. Like if I see someone doing something and I've done it before, or even if I've not done it before, the same neurons that they're using to do the action will fire in my brain. So, and so if you understand that phenomenon, well, you don't need to understand it. But if you understand that phenomenon, and you also understand the connection between the physical body and emotion, and the way your physical condition in a sense determines your emotion like if i furrow my eyebrows i'm automatically more irritated <laughs> than if my face is relaxed um, like you can try this on the bus look at someone's face look at what muscles are tense in their face and recreate them and you'll see how it affects your feelings in that moment uh it's a very powerful phenomenon. So I think that's one way dance communicates is by showing us a thing, having our brains recreate that. And it kind of moves into the body from the brain, communicating basically body to body without the linguistic centers of the brain getting involved at all because we process visual information all at once and, and it's only concepts that we understand linguistically that ever enter into that part of our brain. So, um, yeah, I don't know how we got on that topic, but metaphors and that dance, um, that that process are yeah really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the communication between the performers and the audience. 
uh, I wanted to talk to you about the the global communication of the show because there's a really nice way in which I'm using both familiar and unfamiliar physical material and you do something similar with the text. You use um, a very charming structure for most of your poems. You use a lot of rhyme. Uh, You use a lot of poetry language, but you also use colloquial language and you have fun with it and you, and you make it really a, a welcoming experience. And I'd like to believe that that happens both through the poetry and through the dance and that it's a nice pairing. Do you feel the same way? The result of mixing kind of everyday movement with, um, with formal dancing. Yeah, totally. Um, there are parts in the, in the, piece where I am dancing in parts where I am doing yoga uh and like getting you out of bed <laughs> and uh the the line is never solid between them and kind of ebbs in and out which is really I think it adds to the accessibility of the piece um I was watching some dance with a friend of mine um little excerpts and uh as a non-dancer and non uh like he's not really an audience member of dance normally he complained about the content of the dance in terms of it being too cerebral too um well this is how he put it i don't know if he was using the correct words to describe his experience i think he was kind of anyways um his complaint was that he had to pay too much attention to what the person was doing and like actively interpret it because the dance, the movements were so far removed from his experience as a human being, uh, that he had no automatic reactions to what was going on. You know, he couldn't see, uh, so that was, you know, one piece and another piece, there were clear moments where this person was just walking from one place to another and their comportment, uh, their posture was what what gave you the idea of the character um so that is much more concrete and um and he had a lot more fun watching that piece because uh he he recognized it it's we find the same thing in music um uh there are certain sound combinations that are just more familiar to the everyday ear, um, which is why popular music is very simple and and uses a lot of the same conventions. And if you try to get someone whose musical experience is limited to uh, pop songs that are played on Virgin Radio, um, if you try to expose this person to neoclassical music of the 20th century, which is barely tonal, musically all over like there's not much harmony and melody um it's just not possible to enjoy it because they don't have a foundation of classical music repertoire of music theory to to understand it on on a level so i think this first type of dance performance that my friend was complaining about is very accessible for other dancers, but not so accessible for the layperson. 
Um, and so I think both of these, I think that has its place. I think it has value. Um, just like this neoclassical um, genre has, has value, but it's not, um, yeah, it's not super accessible to the, to the lay person. And you find that's paralleled in the poetry you've written for the show? Yeah, I find that I find that people can get very um detached from audience when they're writing poetry and um that was something that I went through was I used to use quite Shakespearean um phrasing in my poems and I think it was not super readable. Like the I, I have a great ear for Shakespeare. I can watch a Shakespeare piece for the first time and completely understand everything everyone says. Well, maybe 85%, which is very high. Um, so for me, it's totally readable, but the average person hears this freight, like just, it comes down to even the sentence structure is, is radically different. Just where the adjective is placed in relation to the noun is not automatically understandable and so what i strive to do now in my poetry is to really make it understandable to the human ear which is to the modern human ear contemporary um which is exactly what shakespeare was doing like everyone understood what was being said even just the normal blacksmith who had no use for reading would understand what's going on so yeah i think i think it's important for this kind of piece that aims to be accessible for the, for the poetry to be, um, to acknowledge its roots. My poems, some of them are more formal. Some, one of them is actually an iambic pentameter. So I recognize my roots by keeping that form. And I acknowledge my present audience by using language and, idioms that they understand like bodacious booty like bodacious booty that poem is a lot less <laughs> uh set in structure it's a lot looser but still has a structure but yeah <laughs> I, do, I do i do love to use that kind of i think i say bounteous booty oh. <laughs> fair enough travis thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today about the show it's been a pleasure I am so thrilled to be opening this week, and I look forward to uh, our run together. I think the count is under 120 hours till we open now. Amazing. If you want to hear more from Travis Martin, there's actually a podcast called The Working Arts, and it is produced by Travis's sister, Erica, and I have an episode on it, and Travis has an episode on it, so you can hear more about his experience and career as an artist and a human. I'm also going to be on another podcast coming up called A Single Thing by Natalie Carneef. I'll be talking about past relationships uh, and the joy of, or the, yeah, the joy of being single. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been speaking with Travis Martin, who is the co-creator, writer, and one of the performers in Do You Want to Live Forever, 
which is the fringe show that I am the project instigator, choreographer, and a performer for at the Ottawa Fringe Festival, playing from June 8th to the 17th, 2017. We have six shows at Arts Court Theatre. Tickets are only $12. You do need a $3 fringe pin, however, to see any shows at the festival. And you can visit ottawafringe.com shows to read more about our show and all the other ones that are being presented by the festival this year. Thank you so much for listening. glass without the sour sand turns me around a thousand times faster than a powerful master with a tower of cash. Give me a beautiful boy to bounce with, and Mom will be there, her bounteous booty beating the batteries out of your barbarous clock. Oh, Mom. been listening to Dirty Feet. I'm Alison Burns with a few thank yous. First to Paula Flalo and the No More Radio Network. Also to Mainline Theatre and Montreal Improv Theatre. And to all present and past team members who can be found on our website, dirtyfeetpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. Thank you for listening. Until next time.